Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and boy, I am, I could not be more excited to bring you today's show than I am. I know I just did an album review recently of the Dead Daisies new album, Holy Ground, which uh, I'm very excited to say is topping charts all over the world. Congratulations, guys. Well deserved. I may not agree with everything in the mix of the album, but I will agree that the music is absolutely fantastic, and I, I'm glad that people are appreciating it and, and, and giving it a chance and enjoying and listening to it. So uh, there's that. Then I had, uh, last week, I had the first half of my bucket list interview with the the great Scott Adams on the show. I was so excited to bring you that as well. Um, Scott's just had such a profound influence on my life with his work. And uh, we'll get into that uh, second half of that next week. But for now, I'm doing another album review because uh, I really like this album. I think it's one that's gone very much under the radar. And, you know, it, it happens a lot of times, especially nowadays, because there's so much out there to listen to. A lot of albums, even by uh, people who have worked on really historic projects, are just not getting seen except in certain communities, you know, like the communities that follow those bands that they were associated with. And even then, a lot of times they don't get noticed. So I wanted to take some time and highlight this album. And then I thought, you know what, why don't I reach out to Paul Newton, who is one half of this project? It's the Newton Rainbow Project and see if he'd be interested in having a chat about the songs, maybe give some insight into them. And he, he uh, agreed. And so we set up a time and was quite happy to talk to him. Uh, it's interesting for me when I do um, interviews that are in other countries because I get very nervous about that time change thing. And even though I know very well he's eight hours later than I am, it uh, it always just makes me a little nervous that maybe the international code isn't going to work. Maybe there was a time change over there that I didn't know about, which is what happened when I talked to Ken Hensley. Uh, and so I get a little nervous that maybe I'm not going to wake up because it's earlier than my normal schedule. So I end up uh, just staying up very late and then barely sleeping and then uh, doing the interview. But I have to say I was very <laughs> I felt very fresh and awake for for this one. And I was really grateful that Paul wanted to come on the show and talk about the album because it really is a great, very straightforward rock and roller. It's got some country in it. It's got a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of swing in it. It's got uh, it's good feelings. It's got maybe some uh, what you would call classic uh, horror uh, soundtrack uh, style music, not not soundtrack as in like the underscore of a movie, but like uh, like a TV show theme. Um, we talk about that, too, for one of the songs. And it was uh, it's a great album to listen to. I highly encourage you guys to go check it out and see what you think of it yourselves. Very well worth it as far as I'm concerned. And if you know, obviously, if I if I hated the album, I wouldn't be doing a show on it. You know, uh, these aren't paid reviews. These are albums that I handpick that I really like that I want to share and talk about and, uh, you know, maybe get some people to uh, give it a chance who haven't heard it before or maybe somebody who has heard it before and thought, you know, it's a it's a good album or I don't like the album or I kind of like the album or whatever to give it a chance uh, and, you know, maybe see if they like it now, because as we grow, our tastes change. Our thoughts and feelings about things change. Sometimes we're in a bad mood when we hear something and we just aren't going to like it no matter how good it is. So it's really, in my opinion, a good thing to go back and revisit things that we didn't like. Even with foods, that's very common. Our taste buds change over the years. Our experiences bring us to different likes and dislikes. Sometimes you'll say, you know, I, I don't I don't like a food from a certain culture. And then you'll be in a position where it's what you're having for dinner. And then you might find that you really love it. 
for example, I was never a big fan of the idea of sushi. The, the whole concept just turned me off completely to it. And then uh, many years before I moved here, I was having dinner with my friend Miriana, who was a performer in Mystere at the time. And we had uh, we went to this restaurant and she ordered sushi. And I said, do you mind if I try a piece of that? I've always been curious as to what it's like. And I just fell in love with it. It's fantastic. I, I eat it whenever I get the chance. I never shy away from sushi. And um, that's how things happen. I mean, people's tastes change. Sometimes you're put in a position to experience something that you didn't previously like. And if you're open-minded and give something an honest chance, who knows? Maybe you'll find something you like. But for whatever the reason that you may not have come across this album, or maybe it is one that you absolutely love, uh, I thought it'd be a really good idea to do a review of it, uh, help get the word out to some people that maybe have not been made aware of it, and uh, see what they think of it. And then uh, Paul was was so gracious, and he's such a nice guy. Since I interviewed him the first time, I met him like five minutes before we started the interview. That was literally the first interaction I'd ever had with him. And, you know, over the the time since, he's been very helpful with the Uriah Heat podcast I do and just been a, a very nice guy, someone that I, I truly am honored to call a friend. And I'm really glad that he wanted to come on the show and talk about this album. So this album was, uh, it's the, the uh, Newton Rainbow Project, which is Paul Newton and Chris Rainbow. And he, Paul's going to tell us how it, it came to be, and then we're going to talk about each of the individual songs. Now, when I had Paul on the phone, I did not have a way to play the clips for him uh, with the quality that they're going to be in the show. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to interject the clips in right before we start talking about those songs. When we talk about the Uriah Heap covers, which we do first, there's two different ones. So I'll just slip in a little bit of the second one so that uh, that you can hear what we're talking about as well. That, that would be real turned on. Uh, great covers, by the way. I really like both versions. And I'm not a huge cover version guy either. I enjoy doing cover versions because they're fun to do, but I don't expect them to have any particular commercial success. I've really only done a handful of them. I usually don't put them out there. I just do them for fun. Uh, they're good experience as a, as a musician to do from time to time, but uh, really it's just, you know, I might be between albums or I might just have like a day I'm waiting on something and, um, you know, we'll just knock out a cover version of something for fun. That's just, uh, you know, one of the little joys in life I find. And so uh, I always get a little skeptical when covers are done, but I really do like these two versions of uh, the Uriah Heap songs. And the rest is all original stuff, which is really good writing. Um, you know, if you just if you just want something that you can just enjoy without having to put too much thought into, not a lot of, you know, there's no crazy solos. There's no, you know, uh, points where the band just takes an unexpected turn into some crazy direction in music. It's very straightforward, very just, you know, you could just get on the highway and listen to this album and enjoy it, you know, just just looking at the scenery. And uh, there's actually a song that uh, the reason I say that is because there's a song on here that specifically made me think of that. And we talk about that song. What I find most interesting, and this is the last thing I say, I'll say before we get into it. What I find most interesting is that the concepts that were the target of this album, the reason that they headed in certain directions um, without having any prior knowledge of it without having any understanding of, of the fact that there even were those concepts, let alone, you know, what those concepts were. I, I identified with all of them, as you'll hear in the interview. So the intention that they set out for this album, at least with me as a listener, all of those hopes were met because I, I identified with all of them. And I think it's the greatest thing when you have a goal 
And you can convey that goal to someone who's not in the same room with you without having an explanation, without having somebody tell you what it was, and then see that person say, here's the conclusion I'm getting from this. The realization that what you've put out there is being met is one of the greatest payoffs of art. You know, it really is. When you're telling a story that's very straightforward and you're eliciting a certain reaction and you get that reaction, that's one thing. And that feels good because you've accomplish what you set out to do. But when you're talking about the larger concepts of an album, you know, things that you threw out there for a certain reason or the reason you put uh, the songs in a particular order or whatever it is, and you hear somebody regurgitate that back to you and it's exactly what you intended, that shows that you've really accomplished that goal. You've really done something special. And I think that this album is a, a very special album. It's something that I treasure in my collection very much. And honestly, guys, that's that's all bias aside. I mean, If you listen to the first three seasons of Uriah Heap, the Magician's podcast, I talk a lot about Paul's work and and how much I love his work as a bass player, uh, what a great musician I think he is, and how much respect I've grown to have for him. But all biases aside, this is just a great, straightforward rock and roll album. I like the intellectual stuff. I like stuff that makes me go, wait a minute, what was he doing there? And having to rewind it and listen again, or, or maybe find something that was buried in the layers of music. But you know what? That's also exhausting. And sometimes you just want to hear something that you can just sit down and enjoy that you really don't have to think about too much, that it's just you just put it on and play and and you just smile the whole time. And to me, I could not summarize this album, License to Rock, any better than that. So without further ado, here is my interview with Paul Newton and the album License to Rock. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you guys know when I do these album reviews, I just do them by myself and uh, kind of go through the songs. But I have a real fortunate opportunity today to have my good friend Paul Newton on the show to talk about this wonderful album he's done with uh, with Chris Rainbow. And we're going to get into it right now. Here's Paul Newton. Paul, how are you today? I'm very good. Thank you, Scott. Lovely to talk to you again. And uh, I'd just like to thank you for taking a little bit of interest in this um this project Chris Rainbow and myself did, and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So let's do it. I really do, and uh, thank you guys for putting it out. Um, been a little bit of time since we've spoken, and uh, I've really grown to appreciate you so much beyond being a bass player because you're just such a great guy and a great musician. Um, I'm curious, how did this project come together? Well, it was it was quite strange, really. I went to a, a, a club, a gig at a local club, all some years back, and uh, the, the, the entertainer or the musician for the evening was Chris Rainbow. He was just doing his one-man show with, with backing tracks and stuff uh, in a small club. And in the break, we just happened to get talking and t- talking about music, and I said I played a bit of bass and all this sort of stuff. Um and we sat down, had a beer, um, and he kind of said, well, I don't know if you'd be interested, he said, but I've, I've got a few songs I'm, I'm looking to, to record, and would you like to play bass on them? Uh, and I, I said, well, yeah, okay, well, if you want to send me the songs or whatever, I said, I'll have a listen and let you know, because the thing is, Scott, over the years, I've had lots of people send me songs and... Uh, all sorts of things, and 90% of people who, who, who write or send me songs 
you listen to them and it's the usual sort of thing, you know, my girlfriend's left me, I don't know <laughs> what to do. You know, the trees are green and I'm feeling blue. But he sent me three or four over and I gave them a good listen to and I thought, yeah, there's actually good songs, there's a bit of potential here. So I contacted him again because, I mean, I, I live in... Uh, in Ledbury, in the, in the west of England, Chris lives about 80 miles from me, so we don't live in the same time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we agreed to get together um, and, and go through a few things. He, he, he brought a few more songs along, and then, I mean, how we did it then, because Chris had started recording some of them by, by then, and he was really putting all his stuff down in the studio, and then he, 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 you know, he'd send me copies up. I'd sort out some bass lines for the songs. And I'd go down to the studio and, and put the bass on top. And then we'd, we, we, we'd finish, you know, we'd put else, whatever else we wanted on the tracks. And, and away, away we went. So it was a fairly low key, relaxed kind of thing done a little bit from a distance, which strangely enough, with the current situation, with the pandemic, we find ourselves in. It's how a lot of stuff is that is now being done with bands and musicians. So that's where it all came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird when you're used to recording with a group and you're working with uh, everyone's energy together, uh, playing as versus just like coming in and laying down tracks on something that's already done that you weren't present for. Do you find that difficult? Do you find that you're less connected to it that way? Well, when I first two or three tracks I did, because I'd never done any recording project like this before. It'd always been the band in the studio. You'd be working together and throwing ideas around. Um, so it was a little bit strange, but in actual fact, I soon got used to it and found it a nice, relaxing way to actually put the bass down on, on the tracks because I didn't have to worry about anybody else. Um, the, the, the song was basically there, the basics of it. So I worked out all the bass lines at home at my leisure. So I just went in the studio with Chris and the engineer and, 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 and played them. Yeah, I did, I did sort of three or four takes on each song and then, then we went through them and picked out what we thought was the best. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, and that makes sense. And what's really interesting about it is when I listen to the album it really feels like a band went into the studio and recorded it together in the traditional process. It doesn't feel like it was put together piecemeal. It's it's all cohesive. Yeah, well, that was my main concern, because I did think, is this going to sound a little kind of clinical and unfeeling? But I was pleasantly surprised as to how well it did actually work. You know, so um, I, I, well, once, once I'd, I got into that frame of mind, you know, it kind of spurred me on and it worked well. I would agree. Was there any uh, confusion on the band name? Did anybody think that this was uh, like a, a partnership with the band Rainbow? Um, no, I mean, Chris, it was really, I've got to say, it was probably more Chris's baby than mine because he was going to kind of do something with these songs anyway. So, um, yeah, we did work together on it. We did think about various names for a band or a title. Thing is, I mean, it's not going to be a project we took on the road as a band because Chris was busy. He does a lot of, 
is basically a country or Western artist, but it, he does a, a, a great selection of all sorts of stuff. Um, he's a guy with a lot of experience. He lived and worked in the States for m- many years. He was married to an American girl. So he had a good influence, which I think comes over in the songs of, of the American kind of style of music. Um, so we didn't really want to put it out as a band and mislead people, which is where, so we thought, well, the Ra- Rainbow Newton Project, it, it, it's, um, it's not leading anybody down any road that, 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 that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's, that's very well thought out. And, and definitely I sense some country influence in a couple of these songs. Um, very, it just, but it just blends so well. Um, you know, you can have straightforward rock, you can have a little country influence here and there, and it all just seems to play together very well. It doesn't feel like there's a song that is disconnected because of it. No, well, we we got we, we I, I mean during during the process of this, Chris and I did do a few gigs together, either as a, as a duo sort of thing at a small club, or we did do some some gigs um, as a three piece band. So we we had got to to, to sort of. Uh, understand how how we both worked and played which was a big help you know so it wasn't totally cold sure yeah and i i have to say too i really like the production on it i think it's very well mixed i think the sound is really nice and clean um who uh, who mixed it yeah it, it was again it, it was very surprising chris we used a small studio a friend of chris has got <laughs> A studio basically in, in an outbuilding in the bottom of his garden. Um, uh, but it, I mean, he's got some good some good recorder equipment in there. Um, so you know, we, we just go in the three of us and work together and put these things together. So again, it was a nice relaxed environment to make music in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it obviously worked out very well. Getting into the songs a little bit, uh, the first song uh, is a Uriah Heap cover of Walking in Your Shadow, which is a song that I love. Um, what made you guys decide to put that one on here? Well, during the process of this, and a bit of the sort of pre-planning, Chris, because he Chris was familiar with a lot of the Uriah Heap stuff, especially the early stuff, so um, he was kind of a fan of the band anyway. And he said to me, he said, I'd like to do a couple of, of, of heap songs on, on the CD. And I mean, first of all, I said, well, I don't really know if I want to go down that road because this isn't, this is for me, not, not a sort of heap revisiting heap exercise. It, it's doing, uh, it, it's just doing the, the songs that we've got already got together.
And he basically said, well, I'll, he, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll get one together and send it up to you and see what you think. Um, and I think the first one he did was Real Turned On, which is one of my favourite heat rockers. I think it's just a great, you know, a great straight-ahead rock song. Um, and I was pretty impressed. I mean, that his vocals on both those tracks, um, I, I just think he, he sang them very well. It was a little bit, sort of David Byrne-ish without trying to copy him. I mean, that's how Chris sings. So, um, you know, having listened to that, I said, well, yeah, well, okay, if you, if you want to do it. I said, it uh, it may pr- provide some kind of interesting link for people who are familiar with me um, to create a bit more interest in, in, in the project. And, and so that's how it sort of came about. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a stunning version of Walking in Your Shadow. I think that the uh, it's a little bit faster than I'm used to, and there's a really nice acoustic part in it that uh, I love the way that uh, that was done. But when I first heard his voice, I thought he was uh, he sounded a little bit like John Lawton. Yeah, I mean, he's Chris has got a very good voice, and he's a very good guitarist as well. So I suppose that it's a little cross between David Barr and, and, and John Lawton. But at the end of the day, that's how Chris sings, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got a really good, strong voice. And I thought he sang, uh, well, I thought he sang all the songs very well, but I, I was pleasantly surprised by how well this song came out. Because a lot of times when people do cover songs, it's pretty iffy. You, you never really know what you're going to get. But I was very pleasantly surprised by both of the Heap songs you guys did. No, I thought they both came out okay because I did say to him, you know, I said, well, if we're going to do a couple of heap things, I don't want to do a total rearrangement because I don't like doing that with, with songs. So I, I said before, so, and I said, they're simple songs. If you change too much in the songs, then I don't think it'll work. So they are pretty close to the originals. I mean, what I played was pretty much what I played on the originals because... I couldn't really think there was any point in changing it. I don't think it would have worked. That's how the songs were written. Yeah. Well, plus it's stuck in our head too. Like this is this is just the way the song goes and that's how we're used to hearing it. So anytime you do change things, you're kind of taking that risk of maybe I'm not going to like this afterwards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I mean, those two heat ones we did were just our versions of a couple of good classic heat songs of the 70s. Uh, but no, they're, yeah. they're good songs. I'm glad that you guys included them. In fact, um, with Real Turned On, I really just love the sound of the song. I think it just sounds amazing. And it's just such a, a great song to do. Uh, I've never performed Real Turn On live, but I have performed Walking in Your Shadow. And as a drummer, even, it's just such a blast to play. They're, they're good songs. I mean, real turn on, as I said, it is just a good stomping rocker and uh, you can't help but sort of tap your foot to it and enjoy it. And it's uh, it allows some nice guitar work or whatever. Uh, the, the, the heat one, the bass was kind of louder, probably a little bit too loudly mixed. So we, 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 we dropped the bass down for this version because, uh, yeah, I'm the guy who played on it. But you, <laughs> I think... I think I, I think the original reel turned on. The bass in parts was just a little bit too loud in the mix. But that's just me. You know what I love, Paul, is I love when the person who performed it said, you've got me in there too loud. Because normally people are fighting to have them themselves put above everybody else. That's the sign of a real artist that cares about the project over themselves. I love that. Yeah, well, I think it's it's... 
you lose the point. If you're going to start recording things or whatever you're doing, and if you just want to promote yourself, as I said in my last interview, you lose the point of it. You've got to do what's what's right for, for that particular song, and you need to get the mix right. You don't want to say, well, I'm playing bass, on it, so I want it louder than anything else. It, it's, it's, you know, you just want it to sound right. Yeah, exactly. This uh, this lonely road is a real nice surprise coming off of walking in your shadow. Um, there's just some really lovely gentle synthesizers on this album. Did uh, did Chris play those? No, we 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 cheated on most of this album. Um, all of it is is from I don't know uh, drumming programs or whatever you want to call it. So it was easier for for, for what we were doing. To use the stuff that that, that 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 was available in the studio, and we could we could jiggle it around. It's all technology to get the effect we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I did use a friend of mine, a drummer called Gary Harper, who was the drummer in a band I was working with at the time, a band called Nice and Sleazy. I got Gary down, and he put drums on about four tracks. Um, on the CD, but we only actually used, I think, two or three of them because no disrespect to Gary, but we just got what we wanted out of, out of the um, drum programming thing. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm a drummer and I use those a lot because I live in an apartment, so I can't be recording acoustic drums ever. Um, they're nice tools to have and, and they sound really good here. The other surprise on this song, too, is the female backing vocals. Yeah, well, again, that's a girl Chris uh, uses on on some of his uh, other stuff, and she, yeah, great singer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I I did not expect that, but I thought it sounded really good. No, well, we just did it on a couple of the tracks again to add another sort of feel, another color to it, so to, to enhance certain parts. So we didn't overdo it; we just put it in where we felt it was necessary. I, you know, I like that, though, because I feel like a lot of bands and, and especially a lot of uh, solo artists will say, here's the guitar setting that I have for the album. And they they use those presets for every song. They don't liven things up. They don't add those those different flavors to make the album on the whole interesting. So I really like that you guys did that and broke it up from song to song. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's a pretty basic, simple uh, collection of rock songs. So we just added a few things like the girl singer uh, in, in, in different sections to just lift it a little bit, maybe break the sort of monotony of it for, for the listener. And I think it worked well. Oh, I agree. Because because when each song started, you never knew what was going to be inside. You know, like like when you get a box of, uh, you know, different kinds of chocolates, you never know what, what is the little treasure inside. This, this album is the same way. You don't know what you're going to get on the next one, which is really nice. No, it, it is. I mean, I was pleased that it is. It's a good selection of 
slightly different things, you know. So it it didn't just follow one one pattern. Um, it, it it it. I think it keeps your interest up when you're listening to it because, as you say, one track finishes and you're thinking, well, because it's a totally unknown thing. It's not like anybody knew us particularly well or knew the songs. So one track finishes and the next one starts, and you think, "Oh wow, this is a little bit different." Exactly. So it's it's you know, but I think this low for me, this lonely road is is one of the strongest on the album. I just yeah, I really like that song. I would agree. That's that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, another one is Last Man Standing. We're gonna keep on rocking till the last man standing. I love the vocal intro on this. I love the guitar riff. It's simple. And sometimes, especially in rock and roll, simple is the best thing. Yeah, sim- simple, as I've said to you before, simple is always good. You know, keep it, just play what's needed. It's so easy in a studio. Oh, well, we'll just do this. Oh, well, we'll just put a bit more on and suddenly... There's so much going on that you lose the sort of the point of, of of the song. That's very true, and it's so easy to say, "Well, what else can I add?" Or let me just try one more thing. And at some point, you have to call the song finished. And as a solo artist with nobody monitoring me, I find that difficult sometimes. Yeah, well, of course, there's so much available now when you're in a studio. It is very easy to go down that road of of, of just overcrowding the song, mm-hmm. and you, so you've got to be careful. I mean, we did try various things on the songs, um, added bits and pieces, and then we'd listen back and think, no, we don't need that unnecessary. Yeah, I, I think there, there's nothing on the album that I felt should have been removed. Um, I think everything was very tasteful. The keyboards, you're not using them all over the place. They're just very, uh, very strategically placed and, and very uh, well mixed. Uh, it's just, it, for me, this album really stands up on the whole. Well, yeah, and re- the keyboard part of it, because um, Chris, the, 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 the guy in the studio, the, the producer or whatever, the engineer, it's his studio, um, he is a musician, so he plays guitar, and he 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 did the keyboards where we wanted to. And and as him and Chris have got a good working relationship, but I got to know him. He's actually down on the album as Ted Turner, <laughs> but he's, he's actually he's he's a, he's a yeah big, big big Ted Turner. That's what he likes to call himself. But no, he he uh, he puts some nice sympathetic keyboards on just just again to to to, to expand the sound and give it add another color to it so again that worked well you know we're, we're necessary but you know we only used it where we we, we felt it was necessary mm-hmm. absolutely and and uh that was even the first time i listened through the album one of my first thoughts when it was done was that was very tasteful you know nothing over the top just blended in there uh for a little color and that's the kind of stuff I really like. I mean, every once in a while, it's like if you've got a really good keyboard player like Ken Hensley, 
it's nice to have some layers for somebody who really is good at that. But for this kind of music, I think minimal really works well. Yes, and that, and that's what we were after, the kind of min- minimalistic feel, uh, but making sure there was enough in there to, to make it interesting. But it was never going to be a project where, where we had great long solos and things because um, we just didn't want to be doing that. And I, and I think the days of, of, of listeners getting into that have maybe gone. I mean, I know listening back to some a couple of the live versions of Gypsy and Salisbury, I, I kind of think this is just, it's, it's too much. It goes on too long. You, you start to lose interest. I think music is something that, you know, like everything else, it evolves over time. I mean, we, we went from rock and roll to punk and we had disco and then we had the 80 cent thing for a while. But it there's there's people that I think will always appreciate a well-written and well-performed song. I do think you're right. I think more current generations might not appreciate it. But I've seen a lot of these uh, re, uh, first experience videos that people put on YouTube where they listen to a lot of songs from that era for the first time. And you just see their reactions of how pleasantly surprised they are and how blown away they are at certain parts. Uh, I watched a girl do one for uh, Child in Time. And uh, her reactions, she was, and she's a singer, so that was a particular interest to her. But to see people appreciating that music that are, you know, in their mid to late teens, I think the music still stands up to a lot of people in those times, too. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it, it's, um, you know, I can't add anything to what you said, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. The next song I've got is uh, Standing on the Rock. And I don't know what it is, but there was something about the bass drum sound that just really struck me as perfect for this song. Um, It stands out a little more for me than on the other songs, but it's a great mid-tempo piece. Um, We've got the female backups again and a really killer guitar solo. I think this is probably my favorite solo on the album. Yeah, it's a good song, that. And uh, that's one Chris wrote. Chris lives in a flat. Um on sort of the top of a town, a coastal town. It lives on kind of up on one of the cliffs in a top top, top floor flat. And he just wrote the song about, you know, standing in his flat, looking out the window, standing on the rock. And it, that's where it came from. <laughs> that's a good song. The beauty of music, though, is that we can be inspired by anything and make a song out of it. Of course, yes. Yeah, I mean, the most... <laughs> Some of the some of the best songs ever were written by somebody, probably in a fairly short time, standing somewhere or driving or whatever they may be doing. Scott, some lady in black, Ken wrote, looking out of a hotel window in Bradford and saw a girl walking down the road, and out came a song. So it's the inspiration can come from anywhere at any moment. Mm-hmm. I love your playing on that song, by the way. I, I know this is a bit of a digression, but just those little runs that you did on the bass really made that song uh, stand up for me. That and the the reverb on the drums, 
um, just that that slap back on the snare. Uh, just such a beautiful song. Very kind of you. The next one I've got is Watching My Last Chance Fade Away, which is, it's an interesting song to me because it's it's upbeat, but it's kind of sad at the same time. And that's a hard line to walk. Yeah, well, it's, of course, this is a kind of country feel to this, which is what Chris Rainbow does a lot of. Um, and as soon as he played me this song, I, I said, Chris, this is just... For that type of sort of semi-country song, I said this is really superb, and I did keep saying to him, "You should, you, you should, we should see if we can get somebody to, to, you know, to, to take this up and record it. Some somebody a bit more well-known than us, because I, I just think it's a great song, mm-hmm. you know." Yeah, it is. Uh, the the keyboards really are are just beautiful and have a real presence on it too. Yeah, well, because this one we recorded it um, and went away and listened to it, and then Chris phoned me up. He said, "I've done another version of of of, of, of this with keyboards and some other things on it." And I said, "Oh, I said you haven't spoiled it, have you?" So he said, "Well, when you don't have a listen to it." <laughs> And I must admit, I prefer the, the, the original one, but I think I think they're both good, and it does lend itself to to to, 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 to having the keyboards and things on it. I think it it, it makes it uh, a little bit more interesting, and and I don't know, it just works. So we we put we put we put the two versions on the CD, so people have got the option of you know, listening to the both. And and I really uh, I actually have to say I enjoy both versions of it. I would say with either one of them, I could see myself just driving down a highway, you know, kind of. Uh, and I think uh, in my mind of like New Mexico, where it's just yes. open desert and you won't see a car for miles, yep. uh, just blasting that song and letting my my mind uh, just go to whatever it needs to go to. It, it's just such a song that just kind of grabs you from the beginning until it ends. Yeah, I think it's just got a lovely feel to it. Um, and it, it's a sort of song, yeah, on your own or drive, as you say. You can just listen to it and and and, and smooth out a bit and, and contemplate things. You know, it, it lends itself to a little bit of being on your own somewhere. You know, I've played a little bit of country. I, I played with a country band for a while as a drummer, which was uh, we were doing like old classic country stuff. And uh, it's about the most boring thing in the world as a drummer. But I'll tell you, I learned how to play meter so well playing country because that's all you are as a drummer, as a metronome. Yes. But this is the kind of country that that kind of bridges that gap into a little bit more uh, from the traditional country. It feel it has that feel to it, but it feels a little more modern as well. It's a nice blend. Yeah, I mean, country, I've played country music over the years and I'm the same as you on the bass. It's 
it, it's very simple, basic bass playing. And I sometimes, if I've been playing country, think, oh, Christ, you know, I like to jazz it up a bit, but you can't. If, if no, <laughs> if country music for a bass and drum, but you are there to make the song work again and the and the feel. If you start, excuse me, if you start getting too um, busy or whatever, then it loses it. You lose the whole feel of it. So, and if you watch any of the great country artists, the rhythm section is just plodding away there, playing it, but enhancing everything else and laying it down for everything else. And it's, you know, if you want to be a flashy drummer, a flashy bass player, don't play country because you'll get the sack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, as at least in the old style of country, uh, we're basically the rhythm section is the foundation of it. And everyone else is the one that's yes. going to shine. We just carry them. But that's got to be hard. And I hope that you're not going to be offended when I use this term, but you're quite an adventurous bass player. Well, I, I can be. But again, as I always say, you, you, you can only play what is right for the song. So it's, it's no good getting too adventurous or whatever if it doesn't suit the song, because then you've, then you've ruined it, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Well, as long as it's within the context, yes. yeah, you're fine. But uh, I, I've just found that you're not, the, you're not the kind of root note bass player that uh, a lot of people are in rock and roll. You're, you, make, you really make it yourself known in the song, and I've always loved that about your playing. Uh, even you know, 30 years before we met, I loved that about you. Well, I just try and keep the essence of the, of the song, and then th there's always a few places within a song you can just brighten it up or, or do something for, for your own benefit and send a message to people that say, well, yeah, I'm a pretty simple bass player, but I can do this if I need to. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> it's a few tricks, I guess, Scott. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and it works. Yeah. I had to I had to pause when I saw the title of the next song, uh, Baby, Please Don't Go, because I had my initial thought was, did they do a Sonny and Cher cover? But it's a completely different song. Yeah, no, no, no. This is this this song was originally done um, by Van Morrison when he was in, in the band in Ireland called Them. I mean, it's been subsequently done by everybody, ACDC or whatever. Um but during the process of getting this this selection of songs together, we both said it'd be nice to find a, a sort of classic or well-known rock song and just do our own take on it. And um, so, so, so we decided to do this one. And I think, again, it's probably my second favourite track on the song. It's just, again, it's simple, but I think it, it just burns along magnificently. I mean, I love playing this in the studio, and I love listening to it now because it's a great song, and I, th I think we did a good cover of it. I think so, too. I think uh, it feels a little bit rockabilly, a little bit swing. It's definitely unexpected. Yeah. Um, from you know the previous songs on the album, it's a it's a great track. Yeah, no, it, it, it was good. I just think it rocks, and and just a little bit of information. It was the only track on the song I actually used a, a plectrum, a, a pick when I played it because I don't often use a pick. Oh, really? Uh, but I used a pick just to get that, um, just to get the fear and the sound I wanted. 
I'm going to have to go back yeah. and listen to that again because I remember I don't remember what the song was that I had asked you about previously, but when whenever I've seen you know pictures or or videos of live performances, you you've got very long, perfect bass playing fingers, and you're always playing finger. And I there was one that I thought really sounded like you played with a pick, uh, but that's that's obviously not normal for you. It's not normal, but again, I'll just a little bit of information. The first Uriah Heap album, a very heavy, very humble, I played the whole thing with the pick because Jerry didn't like didn't like the sound. He, Jerry liked bass players to use a pick. So I used a pick on every track on um, on Very Heavy, Very Humble. But I'm not that comfortable using a pick. I'm just a natural finger player. But um, that's what he wanted at the time. Um, so on that album, I used to pick for everything. The, the, the other two albums I did, I'd, I'd gone back to, to, to finger style. Um, and I also, in the heat days, I used to use flat wound strings rather than round wound, which for someone mm. like Salisbury gave the sort of jazzy bass sound, I guess. That's really interesting. I have just recently switched to flat flat wounds as well because uh, what was suggested to me because I I write a lot of uh, ambient music is that you'll get more warmth out yes. of the strings and it's definitely a transition. They they feel completely different. Yeah. So no, I mean I I used flat wound strings for years and years, and I I started using rain wound. I, I, I don't know. I was in the band and they wanted a sort of more. For the stuff I was doing at the time, it wanted more of a sort of toppy feel. So, and I've, I've used round wine probably most of the time ever since. But I was, strange enough, because one of my bases needs to re- could, could do some new strings. Not that I've been going anywhere to play for God knows how long. And I thought, well, when I change, I thought when I change these, I'll try some 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 uh, flat wound again. Yeah. Well, there's been so much innovation in strings that, you know, every once in a while it's worth trying something new and seeing what's out there. If you don't like it, that's okay. You just put the other ones on. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I mean, regarding strings, I know Dave Rimmer in Heap, he puts a new set of strings on every night because when I was with him, when he was talking about strings, and I said, wow. I said, I've, I've never known a bass player do that, Dave. I said, I'm, I'm very lazy with strings. I said I, I, I only change them when it's absolutely necessary because I don't like the sound of new strings. And you've always got the potential with bass string, new set of strings uh, during a show that they'll start to, you know, that you've got you've got to keep checking the tuning. And and I mean, an interesting tale about strings for a bass player. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a bass player called Phil Chen. He played with Rod Stewart for years and and with Jeff Beck. <laughs> and he, he always used, I think it was a Fender jazz bass. And f- for about 30 years, he still had the same strings on the bass that when he bought it. <laughs> wow. He just never changed them because he was like me. He didn't like the sound of new strings. Mm-hmm. Well, it does take a while to work them in. And I've known a few bass players that, that gig a lot and they'll change their strings maybe once a year. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm like that. I mean, I, I only read, you know, once they've gone, they're starting to lose their, the, the sound. But I mean, I have on occasions take, taken the strings off. Um, 
and and put them in a saucepan and and, and boil them to get to say it removes all the grime and you put them back on and they sound like new strings. And the thing is, I mean, <laughs> bass strings are are pretty expensive, so it's you kind of think well, it's a big cost. I mean, I. Probably Dave Rimmer is sponsored by Rotor Sound, whatever, but I've never known a bass player change strings before every gig. Guitarists do, yeah, but that's different. But I've never known a bass player do that. Very strange. Yeah, I, I've never heard of that either. That's uh, really interesting when uh, when he and I get around to talking. I'll have to ask him about that. Yeah. The, uh, the next song I've got is called uh, All's Not Lost, and I, I just think this is a, a great, upbeat song. I love the mute picking during the verses. Another great guitar solo. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, it's funny. This song, when Chris first brought it along and I listened to it, and I said, oh, I'm not sure about this one, Chris. It sounds a bit too, for what we're doing, it sounds a bit too poppy for me. Um and he said, well, fine. He said, well, you know, keep listening to it until, you know, he said, if you don't want to put it on, then we'll do something else. So I worked out some, had a job to sort out bass lines for it, to be honest. But I spent a bit of time on it. And then we got together in the studio again. And he said, well, what do you think about the song? I said, well, I'm still not sure. I said, but we'll do a few takes and see what it sounds like. I said, because I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm playing sounds like till I hear it back, yeah, with the whole, within the context, the whole song through the speakers. Um, so I did a few takes and played, and I thought, well, actually, it, it's not too bad. And Chris was pretty keen on it. I said, well, no, I, I said, I don't have so much reservation now. I said, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll include this one. So I think it turned out okay, and it, it, it's... I think what's interesting again with this, it, it's a it, it's a bit of a different feel again, a different type of song. So it's probably worth using it. It, it was another, you know, and, and I, I know I sound like a broken record, but it was another one that was a pleasant surprise coming off of the last song, then going into this one. It, it, this is really a, a great album in that respect too, because I just love to be surprised. I love to not know what the next song is going to sound like before I hear it. Um, too many albums, like three, four songs in, I'm kind of like, all right, well, I know what's going on here. I really don't think I need to listen. Yeah, I know. Well, I remember saying to Chris when we finished it all, I said, I said this album, because I did say, we should we should call it Forest Gump. I said, because you don't know what you're going to get. And and that's what the album is to me. It is a, a box of um, uncertainties and unexpected surprises. <laughs> Well, and, and obviously what you were going for worked because that's the exact impression that I got. Yeah. The Mage is a really interesting song. It's uh, just a piano. There's a little bit of uh, what I'm guessing is a synthesized male yeah. choir. Um, 
it's it's a really haunting but beautiful short song. Yeah, Chris. Uh, again, he came along and he said, oh, he said, I, I've, I've just got a short piece here, like a link that we could use on, 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 on the CD. He said, it's just something he's, I, I'd always liked. And uh, him and uh, Chris, the, the studio guy, put this together. And I said, yeah, it's a little bit of an, under, again, a surprising change of mood and feel, um, and almost like a, a short break. You know, but, but, but to, to, to set you up for the rest of the album. So there, there we go. We just included it. So a little bit weird and strange, but that's what the album's all about. Surprises. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And nicely placed, too. I think this was a really good spot for it in uh, in the lineup. Now this this is an interesting one, Satan's Claw. Oh, yeah. um, I don't know if I have the the right era here, but it feels like a sort of a fifties or sixties yes. horror t- uh, television show, like uh, maybe the Munsters or or something. Um, I, I love the sound of it. It just has such a, a great feel to it, and the vocals are delivered. Yeah, um, they sound a little bit colder, a little more Vincent Price. Yeah, Chris again did something he'd written some time ago, and he played it me, and I I, I said. That that's that's just a very strange song. I said I said at the time, but it's like a a Hammer movie thing, you know, the Hammer House of Horrors. And I I said we should put this on because nobody would expect a song like that to appear, you know. Um, very true. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that one. The other thing I was thinking was it it had a, an Arthur Brown feel was the name I was looking for. Yeah. It's um yeah. Again, just a, a strange thing, and I was very pleased with the way it turned out because it was just a little bit spooky, a little bit weird. Um, took me back to dream there, really, but not because of the sound of the song, mm. but but from the weirdness of it. <laughs> I could, yeah, I could see that. Uh, incidentally, as a side note, uh, one of the last concerts that I had been to before uh, you know COVID hit was uh it was John Lodge and the Moody Blues uh the uh Carl Palmer Emerson Lake and Palmer experience Asia and yes yep. and uh surprisingly I had heard that he was part of the tour but I didn't know if he was going to be at the show but Arthur Brown came out and sang a couple of songs with um with Emerson Lake and Palmer yep. wow unbelievable I never thought I'd get to see him perform in my life and that was a, that was a real treat if you ever get to see him Take advantage and go. Yeah. The uh, the next song I've got is uh, Mister Tell Me, which is a, a really good shuffle, uh, just a nice upbeat rocker. Again, some really nice mute picking during the verse, and we have the return of some female vocals. Yeah, again, it nice, um, slightly different feel, but 
just a good, simple, enjoyable song, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And now, how do you? How did you guys balance, or, or was this just kind of a little bit of, of luck versus strategy? But how do you have songs that are so different feeling from each other, but yet the whole thing feels cohesive? I have no idea. I mean, this is. <laughs> I just have no idea. It's. It is just something that happened and worked. Um, and it may we we could well have got together and done stuff, and and between us said, no, this isn't working. It's awful, but. We just found some kind of recipe throughout of all this um, procedure that worked and gelled. You know, and I, I, you know. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a magic. Yeah. Um, the next song I've got is uh, "Let the Dice Keep Rolling," yeah. which is. Uh, would you categorize that as a blues rock? That's this. This is um, probably my third favorite song. I just think it rolls along lovely. Uh, I like the bass on this one. Oh, I do too. Um, the drums get a little more adventurous on this one as well. Yeah, no, well, Gary played on this one as far as I remember, but it, it's um. It's just, a, you, you can imagine a band playing this on stage, grooving along, you know, and, and people bopping about. So it, it just it just hits the spot. Again, just a simple song, but I just, I just think everything in it, all the instruments, everything just gelled to, to give it a really good tight feel, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. Out of curiosity, when you when you were laying down the multiple uh, takes and then choosing from one, was there anything that uh, you recall where uh, Chris said, "You know what? I don't like any of these. Can we do something else?" Or was there always something in there that that he liked? No, no, it was because um, when we started the whole thing, because I'd never recorded with Chris before, and I did say to him, "Listen, Chris, the bulk of these songs are yours." I will play, put down what I feel is right for them. But I said, I'm not going to get upset if you if you say, no, I don't like that, Paul. That's not what I want. But that didn't actually happen at all. Um, he, he, yeah, he, he was quite happy with what I'd done. We did jiggle some of it around a little bit um, because we both said, no, this, this will sound a bit better than that. But basically... I just had a free reign on it. Chris was quite happy for me to... to he basically said, well, you're the bass player. He said, if you think it, 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 it's going to be right, then I'll go with that. So there, there were no big issues at all. I mean, we, we just modified and changed a few things, um, either what I was playing or, 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 or how we recorded it. But no, there, there were never any issues like that. It was probably one of the smoothest recording procedures I've ever done. You know, there was just, it, it it worked right from the start. And I think that comes out in, in the finished product. Well, I think that's part of the magic of it is that if you, if you're not spending too much time overthinking it or trying to make it perfect, if it's just natural, honest music. Yeah. Well, it was never a situation. We, we didn't want to go down the road where we would do 15, 20 takes or something just because you as I've said before, you might improve parts of it, 
but you start to lose the feel then. You can't, I, I can never in studios, once I played something half a dozen times, if it's not right by then, it's best to, to, to leave it, walk away and go back to it. If you stay there for hours, re-recording, re-recording, I mean, you just lose the will to live. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, also, too, I think that you start overthinking it, too. Yes. Right? You're like, well, what did I play on the fourth take that I really liked? What was that? Where did I put it? It, it, the first two to three takes are going to be the most natural and, and probably the best performances. Everything after that, uh, you know, you could do overdubs uh, would be OK, but just trying to record it from the beginning. Yeah, it, it just starts j digressing from there. I yeah, think. well, I kind of think when you're recording, uh, <laughs> I don't, it's a bit like if you watch a quiz show, if, you, if you're doing a quiz and there's... Uh, you're asked a question, the first thing that it comes into your head is probably the right answer. And I think recording's a bit like that. Mm -hmm. What what you achieve initially is maybe as good as it's going to get. But you might, might need jigging around a bit. Um, but you, you can overcomplicate things and, 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 as you said, overthink things and not really ever get anywhere. It, 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 recording, for me, is always... It's got to be a slight compromise. I know you shouldn't compromise, maybe, but um, I don't know. You, 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 you can work on something for God knows how long, listen to it two years later, and then think, oh, well, I, I wish I'd done this or wish I'd done that. So it's always going to be a possibility that, that you could have done or should have done something another way. But I think you have to settle on something that pretty well works, you know? I would agree with that. Yeah. And and it's it's going to feel the most comfortable in the first couple of yes. takes and and that anyway, you know. We're gonna keep on rocking till the last man standing. We got one more. So we have a, another version of Last Man Standing, which uh, the drums are, are very much more alive. So I'm going to guess that this was one that, that uh, he had played on. Um, and there's a really nice uh, vocal delay on it, too, in parts that uh, adds a little bit of texture and color to it. Yeah, well, this, this, is, uh, this is the one that was pretty well the basic track without the piano or whatever, if, I, if I'm reading this correctly. So um, it was just another look at, at a good song what's nice about this is is like uh you're getting the deluxe edition of the cd with the bonus tracks on it and and it's just the way the album came out yeah well i mean we we'd um when we finalized it chris just said he said i i think we should just um put a couple of bonus tracks on he said because we got watching my last chance and we got last man standing with the live from he said so well it'll um it'll make it another couple of uh, uh, tracks for the package and a li little bit more interest so that's why we did that and it was yeah just re revisited a couple of the tracks with a slightly different sound and feel yeah and and that's another thing i absolutely love about music especially as a composer is that you can take the exact same thing and approach it so many different ways that you could make multiple songs out of the same song very easily. Oh, yes. I mean, it's very easy in, 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 in the recording process, especially if you're working you know, with a four or five-piece band in a studio. 
you could go on indefinitely playing things slightly different and you'd probably end up with a lot of good tracks. But um, you have to choose one that, that it, you know, it's going to be the one that, that you issue. So, but yes, it, exactly. it, it's... Um, and I think this is why sometimes you, you go and see a band and they'll play something you've got on an album, but it's it's, it's different to how you, how you know it which I think is fine as long as it's not too different. As I've said before, if you totally rearrange a song that, that's been a favourite on an album for people, then they're disappointed. I certainly am, you know. I would agree with that. I think there's, you want to hear, you know, you want to hear it live. You want to feel the, uh, the music being alive in that moment. But if it strays too far, it's going to sound sour. Yeah, I mean, I... Two nights ago, I late at night on 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 the uh, UK TV, I happened to come across uh, an Eagles concert from LA Forum a few years back. Um, but and as always, I mean, I've seen the Eagles several times. I just love watching and listening to the Eagles live, but playing the songs how how they were written and recorded, and so how I've learned to to to, to love them. And uh, I would always be very disappointed if someone like the Eagles came on and played a set of totally rearranged songs. That would be cheating, <laughs> cheating me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a fine line because you you go to hear the music in a different way, but you still want that reasonable amount of familiarity. And, and some people, yeah, I mean, if 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 it's a song that just goes off into something else and they can bring it back, it's okay. Uh, Deep Purple was was huge for doing that, you know, uh, just taking songs and turning them into twenty minute jam sessions. But they always were able to bring it yes. back in, into the song again. Um, there's very few bands that I found that can really do that, but there is something magical about just hearing a song that you're so stuck on that studio version and just hearing it with a different set of ears in the moment with the energy of the band. That's why I really like. Uh, I, I'm really not a big fan of live albums because you're not there. You don't get that no. that uh, energy of it that that you do. You know, I, I'll watch a live concert. I don't mind that as much because you have a connection. Yes. But to just listen to a live album, I, I'm not. I've never really been a big fan of that. No, no, and I totally agree. I mean, I, I've got some live albums of various bands. And what works on stage, you're quite correct, with with, with a big audience and, and people jamming and extending things, that works within that context. Listening to it at home on your own or on your stereo or whatever doesn't work because you're not in that environment. I remember watching an old Cream concert um, a while back, and, uh, and I did watch it on, on the television, but it just didn't work for me anymore. It, it, it was like I remember going to see Cream, you know, Clapton, Baker, Jack Bruce, when they were around. And I loved the shows, but I didn't enjoy watching it on television um, because it was, mm. you need to be in there amongst the audience and whatever. You, you need the whole environment and the atmosphere. And certainly just listening to on a sound system, you know, would have been even worse. I know a lot of people would disagree with me, but I, I really feel like live albums are, are really record company tools. They're, they're another product to sell um, more so than something that I, as a performer, would necessarily want to release. Well, I think very often live albums are, are put out. I mean, maybe there's a gap in the band's uh, 
time or, or, or writing schedule. They haven't come up with anything. And so somebody will say, well, we, we've got some record, live recordings. Let's put out a live album. Now, I'm not saying they don't always work, but I always tend to think that live albums are just a little bit of a, I don't know, an unnecessary, well, it's just a marketing thing. Um, this, let's, let's get a bit more mileage out of this, and it's, yeah, it's a money thing. There aren't many live albums I've got or heard that I really think do justice to the band. Yeah, and that's the real problem for me, is it just doesn't, and a lot of times it's the recording, but uh, they just, they don't do the songs justice unless you're there. No. No, you need you need to be there. Otherwise, listening to a studio album because then you 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 get the whole pick. You 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 got a, you got the songs as they should be, you know. Out of uh, out of curiosity, um, have you guys talked about doing anything else? Another project? It it did raise its head after this one, Chris. Um, I saw Chris a couple of times, and he said, "I I got some more songs," um, and he's um. Uh, by then, I had two or three songs. And I said, yeah, okay. I said, well, we'll, we'll think about it. Um, and he did send me probably four or five songs up, and I listened to them, and I thought, no. I said, I, I mean, Chris, I say upset. He he was a bit disappointed because he said, well, do you, he said, yeah, the song, do, do you want to come down to the studio? I said, Chris, I don't think... I want to do anymore. I said, but I'm very happy with the project we did. I said, but I don't think, and I don't think what we've got between us now is actually worth my time or your time doing. I said, because we're starting to retread the the same old road because it's, it's very easy. How many bands over the years have had, had, you know, had a couple of good good songs or whatever, and then everything else they do subsequently is is just you're regurgitating that. So I kind of put it to bed. I didn't feel, certainly from my point of view, um, it it was worth the time and money to do something that I didn't think would would come up to the standard of the first album. Yeah, I you know what I can appreciate that, and I think there is that. Um, a lot of times follow-up albums, they try too hard to recapture yes. the magic and, and they lose it because they're trying too hard. Yeah, well, the, and this is what it felt like with the songs Chris had sent me. I mean, he seemed quite pleased. With them, but I just felt that he was, having done the first, the, 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 this album, he was then trying too hard to write more songs because the, the, a lot of the songs on this one he'd had around for, for some time so that they, they, they'd they, they they'd been written and then, and then played or whatever over a longer time it was suddenly like well we've we done that let's do another one and it was it was too much too soon maybe maybe later in the day you know it would have worked but it certainly didn't it, it didn't it didn't grab me then that the the material that, that he had um, I had a couple of songs but I thought no it's I think it's best left I don't want to be yeah I don't want to, the second project to be a total anticlimax the first one I was very happy with I think we acquitted ourselves very well and I was happy to leave it there to be honest 
Yeah, I yeah I I agree with you. I mean, as much as I would love to see you guys do something else, uh, just because I enjoy this album so much, I I I definitely agree with where you're coming from. I would feel the same way. In fact, whenever I I'm just about to release a follow up to an album that I did uh, a, a couple of years back, and uh, I had a very hard time walking that line too. Is am I trying too hard to recapture the magic of the first? Am I trying too hard to not have this be a standalone album? Um, there's a, there's a lot of things to weigh when it comes to something like this. I think what you guys captured on this album was absolute magic. And I think it, there would be a danger. You know? I'm very happy with what we did. I, I do feel quite proud of it at my time in life. Um, but, but to do another one, because it's not as if we were trying to pr- promote a, a, a band to go on the road. There was never really any intention of doing any, any touring or anything with it because it wouldn't have been financially viable. So, you know, it's a project we did. Um, I was very happy with it. And, and then I put the lid on it. Right. Yeah. And sometimes that's the best thing to do, you know? Um, well, I've got the links to where you guys can get the album in the show notes. It's a fantastic album. I highly encourage you guys to check it out beyond the short samples I've played here on the show. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for uh, for coming and talking about this project. And uh, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you, my friend. Scott, same here, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And again, I thank you for taking a little bit of interest in, in uh, License to Rock. And um, I look forward to speaking to you in the future. And again, thank you for all the excellent work you're doing on the Heat podcast. I think, you know, a lot of people out there just totally enjoy it. So keep up the good work, my friend. Well, thank you very much. You take care and we'll be we'll be uh, talking soon. Yeah, we'll talk again. I cannot wait for these restrictions to get lifted and people to start traveling again. And I hope that Paul uh, finds some time to make it back to Vegas. He's uh, very familiar with this town here where I live. And uh, we'll sit down and have a drink or two or a cup of tea or two and, uh, and have a chat in person, which will be really nice. But thank you so much, Paul, for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, your feedback and insight is absolutely invaluable. Thank you guys both uh, to you and Chris for this wonderful album. Thank you guys for enjoying the uh, the journey here that we've taken. I hope you'll go and check out the album. All the links to purchase it are in the show notes, of course. And check out Paul's work with Uriah Heap and as well as the rest of his stuff in his career. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week for part two of my interview with Scott Adams. Cheers. Cheers.